This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Quite a few years back now, as I was serving at a different church, I was contacted by somebody in our church about praying for their brother-in-law. He was a young man, uh, about 40 years old at the time, but he had already suffered severely from cancer. Uh, At the present, he uh, had just lost half of a leg to this battle. And he was undergoing some very serious testing to see if they had, yes, been able to, you know, contain the spread or if they hadn't to come to terms with the very grim outlook and likely facing the end of his life. In the face of this uh, life and death situation, uh, they, uh, they called. And they were asking if I and some of the other elders at the church would would meet with their brother-in-law and pray for healing. Uh, We discussed some instructions on the phone regarding confession and so forth. And and then we set a time uh, to be able to meet with him after the service on Sunday. And I'll never forget that image of that man coming down the aisle, being wheeled in a wheelchair. Um a bandage covering the the stump of his leg and and holding a Bible. But for myself, though, as as that Sunday was approaching, I found different questions stirring in my mind. Questions like, what do I really believe about prayer and healing? In the face of a situation like this, what, what do I really believe? Or or, or the role of my faith in prayer to see something accomplished? Those kinds of questions. And and others were were surfacing in my mind. And and all those kinds of questions about prayer can surface in hard and painful moments, as you probably well know. Simple questions like, if, if God knows what's going to happen with the sick, with the lost person, spiritually lost or anything else for that matter, then why pray to begin with? Other questions like, does prayer change anything besides me and my mindset? Surface. These issues really are important. And I think at the end of the day, you could take all these questions, you could throw them together, and you could begin to boil them down to really one question. One question that we've all been asking. Does prayer really do anything? Does prayer really do anything? Ever asked a question like that? By the way, if you aren't a Christian, you've probably wondered something along these lines too. Uh, you've wondered with the Christians that you know that, that pray like a lot, um, you've wondered, does it really do anything? Or do they just kind of do this, you know, to kind of comfort each other or something like that? Maybe you've wondered, you know, are they just kind of like talking indirectly to each other under some kind of like spiritual guise, sharing information, giving advice, something like that? Have you wondered a question like that before? 
This morning, we're going to be continuing in our Vision and Values series, and we're going to be taking a look at our value of prayerful dependence. And looking at this, I, I, I hope to unpack some of the, the biblical reasons that undergird this value of prayer. To do that, I want to invite you to take a look with me at the letter of James, James chapter 5. Um, but you turn there. James, you'll find a small book towards the end of the Bible. Uh, and James is a letter that is filled with practical instructions uh, to Christians on the Christian life. And, and it's real clear uh, as you read through this letter that the Christians that James was writing to were suffering. They were suffering. Much of this letter is directed to, to Christians who are dealing with various kinds of hardships and trials. And here at the end of this letter, he has quite a bit to say about prayer in hardship. So I want to invite you to take a look at it with me. James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, with oil. That's, that's olive oil, not Quaker State, all right? Uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, now don't, don't miss this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He follows this up with an example. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now James here, he, he comes right out the gate at the first part of our question. Does prayer really do anything? And his, his answer would quite simply be yes. Yes. He says that prayer has great power as it's working, or as, it, as it's being effective, as it's, as it's being active. Prayer is effective, and clearly from the actions and the examples that, that James is, is, is sharing here, it, that prayer has power to accomplish all kinds of things that, that we never uh, thought possible on our own. James backs this claim up with a story from the Old Testament, right? It's the story of, of Elijah. And, and James's case is with Elijah here is it's basically this. Uh, Elijah prays a lot, and the rain stops. Elijah prays again, and the rain comes. Right? This is a pretty, pretty straightforward line of reasoning as to prayer being effective. But, but this is where I think actually many of us start to then get hung up with prayer affecting things. And Elijah's story here is actually a perfect example of the knot that keeps many of us tied up when it comes to prayer. See, in 1 Kings 18, we, we find the story with Elijah here. In verse 1, it says, After a long time, in the third year, the, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go present yourself to Ahab, that, that was a king at that time, and catch this, and I will send rain on the land. A few verses later, after a miraculous intervention from God, repentance of the people, Elijah shares a weather forecast. He lets everyone know, rain is coming. 
But do you know what he does then in verse 42 after that? He prays. He prays. But ask the question, why pray? God has said the rain is coming. Elijah clearly believes that the rain is coming. Otherwise, why is he telling people that it's coming, right? Why pray? This is part of the nut, isn't it? I mean, if God has already said that he's sending rain, why pray for rain to come? Haven't you been stuck with some kind of a question like that before with prayer? It's part of why we wonder whether or not prayer really does anything. Think of it this way. If God is sovereign, which he is, if God knows everything, including the outcomes, which he does, and is at work in everything, which he also is, then why should I pray? Why should I pray? What difference does it really make? James says that prayer does stuff, but how can that be true? Let me add that when we're suffering, like the people that James is writing to here, this question becomes all the more heightened. And so here's the answer and the truth of this passage that I want us to hold on to from today, and that's this. Prayer is part of how the will of God is enacted. And so pray because you want to see the will of God accomplished. Prayer, as in petitioning God, is part of how the will of God is enacted. And so pray because you want to see the will of God accomplished. Let me unpack this further. Elijah's prayer, James's calls to pray, and our prayers, they aren't random. They aren't disconnected from God's will, at least not the ones that are effective. Rather, there is a causal relationship between prayer and what happens. Earlier in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 2, he points this out clearly. You do not have because you do not what? You do not ask. Our prayers are part of how God is enacting his will. We see the same thought in the Lord's Prayer, right? When Jesus instructed us to pray that, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if God's will just, just happens in our lives, why pray for it to happen? No, there is a way things are done, and our prayers are part of it. Not all of it, but part of how God's will is accomplished. Think back to the example with Elijah. In his case, he not only knows the desired will of God, but the declared will of God too. He knows rain is coming, but Elijah... He doesn't know exactly when it's coming. He doesn't know exactly what it's going to look like. But he has complete confidence of its arrival because God's word has said so. So what does he do? He prays for it to come. And if you look at the text, you'll see he fervently prays seven times before he even sees the, the first small trace of an answer. Elijah's actions here, they only make sense if he's understanding his role of prayer in enacting God's will and is praying because he wants to see God's will accomplished. And James is clear that Elijah isn't some kind of uh, superhuman. He's not extra special in some way. No, he has a nature like ours. He's as ordinary as you and me, but he's on to something with prayer and God's will. This is why Martin Luther once said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. I wonder if we've ever viewed prayer that way, though. 
Have we ever seen our petitions as that high of a privilege? That, that high of an invitation? And not a way to overcome God's will or God's desires, but rather seeing them, uh, seeing our prayers as the building blocks, the, the Legos that he chooses to use as part of accomplishing his will. Don't get me wrong here. Uh, I'm all for praying to God about anything and everything. Scriptures are clear that we are to cast all our cares on him, for he cares for us. So, so there is nothing that is off the table in our conversation with God. But what we're after here is understanding the role of our petitions with God. Why prayerful dependence, right? We want to understand this. And as we're, we're building on this desire here, it creates a desire in us individually and corporately for prayer. And grasping this amazing reality of our role and the power of prayer to accomplish things, it will energize and refine our prayer lives. Now, praying this way, uh, it sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, realizing that our prayers, you know, they, they actually do matter. They actually do accomplish something. Uh, that energizes us for sure. But, but if we're paying attention to the text in front of us, we probably noticed that there was a few qualifiers to prayers that accomplish things, prayers that are effective, right? After all, uh, just because we pray uh, doesn't mean that we have any interest whatsoever in God's will, right? When we think about the crux of this passage, that the prayer is part of how the will of God is enacted, and so we want to pray because, because we want to see the will of God accomplished, we We've looked at the first part of that truth, but what about the second? As we do, we actually need to pause and ask a very basic question. Do I want to see the will of God accomplished? Do I want to see the will of God accomplished? Earlier in James chapter 4, verse 3, we read these verses. He says, you ask, as in a prayerful petition, and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Many times in our prayers, we aren't interested in seeing the will of God accomplished, but in seeing my desires accomplished, your desires fulfilled. And so our prayers aren't necessarily effective. And it's not that God doesn't care about your desires or mine. He does. But if that desire of mine or yours is a desire that has been formed by sin, it's been formed by the world, whether that's lust, greed, fear, anger, partiality, and so forth, then we aren't interested in God's will. And we are more than uninterested, he points out. Our desires are actually antithetical to God's will. We're actually heading in the opposite direction. So, if that's where we stand, those prayers, well, they're about as effective as a Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl attempt, okay? <laughs> God isn't interested in blessing those prayers. <laughs> but in all seriousness, friends, it is a sobering reality to consider that our prayers the many of our prayers God has graciously said no to. Many times I've been able to look back in my life, and I bet you you can too, and praise God for saying no 
saying no to that relationship, saying no to that opportunity, saying no to that friendship, saying no to getting me out of that situation, saying no to that amount, that house, and so forth, because the motivations of that prayer had nothing to do with the desires of God and had everything to do with a carnal desire on my part, lust, pride, greed, more. Friends, many times God's telling us no is actually a part of his gracious acts of kindness, of his love to keep us from drowning in the world's waste. And we need to learn to praise God for the answers of no to in our lives and learn to see them as part of how he's refining our desires to see us long for what he longs for, to see us desire his will being accomplished in our lives. This is why praying using the scriptures is actually such a helpful way to see our desires refined and conformed in prayer to God's. Now, if we've undone a couple of knots here, and we move to the point of seeing some reasons for how prayer works out and why certain prayers aren't effective, which we only looked at one reason among others, then let's finish by flipping that around for why certain prayers are effective. What does prayerful petitions look like that, that want to see the will of God accomplished? In a sense, we're, we're just coming back to our original question. If prayer really does do something, then what do I do with it? Very two practical things here. First, we pray with confidence in God's will. We pray with confidence in God's will and with others who are living in alignment with God's will. Pray with confidence in God's will and with others who are living in alignment with God's will. Let's consider the first part here, praying with, or the second part here, praying with others. Look back at the text with me. Verses 14 to 16 here, they unpack the idea of prayer that accomplishes things. And, and as you look at the first verse there, I want you to know, who do you call when you're so sick you can't get out of bed? Not Ghostbusters, okay? Who do you call? The elders, right? You call the elders. Why call the elders? Well, because the first quality of a man called to fulfill the office of elder isn't brilliance, it's holiness. They're to be above reproach. That is, they're to be living in alignment with God's will. God's made them righteous, and they are to be walking rightly out of that position. And then, what are you to do with the person who's sick? Besides praying for them, what are you to do? You're to anoint them with oil. Why? Because oil was a symbol of consecrating someone over to the Lord, setting them apart to God. It's a picture of holiness, a picture of righteousness, of, of, of being in alignment with God. And that's why then they pray in the name of the Lord. They're bringing them under his authority with any confession and forgiveness that's needed. And so it's not surprising then when you arrive at verse 16 and it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, effective prayer moves us out of the way of sin and moves us into alignment with the will of God. That's what you're seeing through these verses. A righteous person's prayers are powerful because their desires, their decisions, their actions have been shaped in many ways by the will of God. And so they tend to pray uh, and to pray for you. Uh, and not based on the world's will, but God's. And if you've ever had someone pray for you when you were undergoing some kind of hardship and they were someone like this, you probably noticed that they prayed differently than what your prayers were sounding like. For starters, they didn't come alongside of you and just talk, 
right? He didn't come alongside of you and just throw a, a small pity party with you, right? As my parents used to say. <laughs> they actually prayed. And their prayers didn't have your problem as some kind of giant, all-consuming issue. Rather, they pictured the Lord as being in charge of the situation. They, they, they had prayers that, that were filled with, with faith, looking at him as having complete authority over the problem, over the pain, and being intimately aware of everything going on with it. And they didn't just have a different view of God, a different view of the problem. They also had spiritual lenses. They had faith that, that they were looking to a solution that God was going to bring an outcome here that had his purpose in mind, not necessarily ours. And church, I want to invite us, then, as we're hearing this, to press into the call and into the opportunity to pray with others who are living in alignment with the will of God. And, and I know, I know, it can be hard uh, to, to come down front for prayer or, or, or having you know, elders anoint you with oil. I know, personally, that, that can be a, a, a sense of humility involved there. Or confessing our sins to another Christian, again, can have a certain sense there. But getting serious about prayer like this, although it is a humbling experience, it is also a great one. <laughs> and it's how we grow. And so if your desire is to see the will of God accomplished, then this is where you'll go when you're suffering, stuck in sin, or so sick you can't get out of bed. You'll invite others who are living in alignment with the will of God to pray for you. Second, you'll be praying with confidence. You're going to be praying with confidence. The old preacher D.L. Moody once said, I believe in definite prayer. Abraham prayed for Sodom. Moses interceded for the children of Israel. How often our prayers go all around the world without real definite asking for anything. And often, when we do ask, we don't expect anything. Many people would be surprised if God did answer their prayers. Church, do we actually pray with any confidence that what we're praying will be answered? Do you have any faith that, at all that the requests that you're making, that they're at least in some small way headed in the general direction of God's will? If not, don't expect then to receive anything. In fact, James says this actually quite clearly in chapter 1, that faithless prayers are worthless prayers. I'm not saying that God might not surprise you by him saying that praying without faith simply doesn't make sense. However, if you're praying with the desire to see the will of God accomplished, then pray with confidence. Not confidence in yourself, not confidence in others or in the outcome you desire, not confidence even in your own prayers or how many you've prayed. No, confidence in prayer is always confidence in the one we're praying to. It's not confidence that I know what's best in terms of an outcome, but that my Savior does. This has tripped up many of us at times where we start to think of prayer uh, in a sense that I've got to dig deep, right? I've got to believe more and more that the outcome I'm wanting will happen. And I need to, to pray more to be able to bring that about. And what on the surface may seem like a, like a very uh, spiritual act has actually turned into a very self-centered one because it's built on misplaced confidence. It's built on misplaced confidence. Rather than depending on the Lord, 
We're depending on ourselves. Rather than looking up, we're looking in. Rather than praying with his strength and, and, and trusting in his will, we're attempting to change it by our strength. Think back to the situation at the beginning of this message with the man dealing with cancer. As far as I know, this man is alive and well today. But in the passage in front of us, saving or raising someone up may be physical or maybe in the spiritual sense. So what if our confidence in that situation or in a particular outcome that we decided this is what has to happen and it was misplaced? Confidence. What if he died? How would we have responded? Beating ourselves up? Maybe convincing ourselves we just needed more effort, better oil, or, or, or maybe we needed more faith that, that he really would be healed, or maybe he needed more faith. All would have been misplaced confidences. Friends, with prayer, many times the actions on the surface can appear the same, but the difference will lie in where you place your confidence. And it's oftentimes revealed in how we deal with God saying no. So friends, pray with confidence. Not in ourselves, but in the one we are praying to. Because church, when we believe that God really does use our prayers to enact his will, and when our desires to see his will accomplished in our lives are present, then we open ourselves up and the others that we're praying with to a place of dependence because our trust is not in ourselves, but in the one who is in charge of the outcome. That's prayerful dependence. That's prayer that's effective, and that's prayer that we want to be part of praying. Prayers that really do something. Let's do that now. Father, we want to invite you, God, to use your word as a refining stone that would sharpen our prayers that we would be able to see the, the change of heart that needs to take place. Father, we, we pray that we would be coming into alignment with what you said. We pray that, that when we find ourselves in need, that we would seek out someone else who's also longing to walk with you closely, wanting to live out of your will, that that would be the person we would pursue for prayer. That we would invite their prayers. That we would humble ourselves and have a surrendered attitude towards your will. That you know what's best. That we can trust you. That everything in our life has been father filtered. That you are present in the hardships. You are using them for our good. You are present in, in the joy. And that you are using them to bring about your praise. And so God, we pray that if we're suffering we would turn to you and pray. And our prayers would be effective prayers because we're jumping in to your will and wanting it to see that accomplished in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So bring us to that point, Father, as we depend on you. Amen.